Welcome to the Health Detective Podcast by FDN Thrive. We interview people who have dealt with the trickiest of health challenges, but eventually learn to get well and stay well naturally. Now it's time to hear from one of our detectives and learn how another health issue has been solved. We hope you enjoy the show. My mother took me to a dietitian at the age of 11 and put me on a diet where all sugar and all fat were removed from my diet, very restricted. I was miserable and obviously it didn't work. And that was basically the start of my lifelong uh, journey with a roller coaster dieting. Hey there, folks, and welcome back to another episode of the Health Detective Podcast by FDN Thrive. My name is Evan Transu, aka Detective Ev, and I will be your host for today's show. As technical as we get on this show sometimes, I mean, we really bring on some people that have experienced some pretty serious diagnoses in their life in terms of like autoimmune and cancer type of stuff. It can be all too easy when we're doing that then to forget that the vast majority, literally, statistically, of people, especially in America, are dealing with weight loss problems. And I think, I would hope so at least, I think we're past the point in the functional space where we are falling for this calories in, calories out kind of dogma because we know that there's more to it than that. But it's amazing to me how many people I still see on Instagram and Facebook and whatever, or YouTube, whatever social media platform, shouting from the rooftops that if you cannot lose weight, it is as simple as you eating too much. I just don't buy it whatsoever. And neither does Margot Shoot, who is our guest today. And she's a certified holistic health and functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner. She empowers midlife women to shed stubborn pounds and shrink belly fat using her signature midlife weight loss fix for women. Very appropriately uh, named, right? <laughs> and this is so that they can regain their energy, get their sexy back, and learn to love their bodies. I feel like I should say that with a little more enthusiasm, right? Get your sexy back, but I don't know. There's something that just doesn't fit when I say it. <laughs> so one of the things that has happened on this podcast over time is, yes, again, we're, we get into very technical diagnoses and very specific things sometimes, but Dr. Uh, Sylvia Terra, Lori Ballou, they've come on and really shed light onto why people cannot shed weight. I didn't think about that joke beforehand. That was kind of in the moment, so I hope that's well-received. <laughs> they kind of showed us how this is not as simple as calories in, calories out. Not in today's world, at least. There is more to this. There are toxins to be considered. There are hormonal imbalances to be considered. We need to consider dysbiosis. There are many aspects that are shockingly, shockingly, still not being addressed by the mainstream. And we continue to hear people just shouting the same narrative that has not worked for the last several decades, somehow thinking it is now all of a sudden going to work. I think that, wasn't it Einstein that they always say? It's like the cliche quote, Einstein said, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting a different result. Well, wow, the people trying to share the weight loss secrets are pretty insane by definition then. Not my words, Einstein's words. <laughs> However, with that said, Margot definitely does not fall into that category like Lori Ballou and like Dr. Sylvia Terra. She's coming on and really giving us a brand new perspective on this. And if you're someone who has felt completely invalidated by this narrative that is still pushed 
that, oh, you must just not be doing enough or you're not trying hard enough and you know that you're trying harder than 90, 95% of people around you, then this is the episode for you. And in the beginning, uh, we also get into some really deep stuff. Some of Margot's journey with eating disorders, uh, specifically bulimia, and it's worth listening to that part even if you're only coming here for the weight loss side. I think there are some powerful nuggets in there. Margot just came on and completely shared her heart, and I really have a huge respect for anyone who does that because I know firsthand how hard that is to do. It doesn't really, I don't know, it doesn't really get ever easier. Maybe it gets a little better than the first few times, but then it kind of just gets stagnant, and no, that's never a fun thing. So I have a huge respect for anyone that's going to do that in the name of helping other people. I thought that was pretty amazing. So make sure you kind of listen to both parts of this. We have the bulimia part, and then we move into her signature method for actually getting people to finally be able to shed their stubborn fat that they might have been trying to shed for years without any relief. So without further ado, let's get to the episode. All right. Hey there, Margot. Thanks so much for being here with us today. Hi, Evan. Thanks so much for having me. Great to be here. I'm glad to be talking to you. This is, uh, I always tell people this because there's so many FDNs out there in the world now. There's like thousands. I've never met an FDN I didn't like, and I've been fortunate enough to talk. I mean, I've interviewed almost 100 now, let alone the amount that I've talked to. And uh, these are some of my favorite podcasts where I have just a little bit of background on you. You know a little bit about me, and we basically get to have that wonderful first FDN meets FDN conversation together uh, for the public, though, (laughs) and they get to hear the different things that we're going to talk about. So I'm excited for that today, and something that I mentioned to you before we even got started that I want to bring up to the people listening is that I love when someone comes on here and brings a new twist to the whole weight issue thing, because obviously, statistically, that's pretty much, if I'm not mistaken, the number one thing that most of us are dealing with in today's modern world is this excess weight gain. But we're getting to a point in time where, yeah, the traditional calories in, calories out thing, you know, there's still people out there preaching that as if it's a universal truth, but FDNs know a little better. Uh, There's many things that can be going into that. And outside of Lori Ballou and Dr. Sylvia Terra, who both did fantastic jobs, out of 80 episodes or something, we've never really gotten a chance to speak about this today. So I'm super happy that you're coming on and sharing a new perspective and different information. And I know that you've listened to the podcast before. So we'll get rolling here with the same exact question that we normally get started with. And that's just as simple as when did your health complications start and what the heck did they look like? Well, thank you so much for that question. So um, in terms of health complications, I've you know, if you look at me from a traditional sense, you know, I don't really have a traditional pain to purpose story um, where I had chronic illness, where I had the usual sort of little ailments and I came from a family. I grew up in South Africa and I, I was born to a family that were traditionally medical. I had a father and uncle who were doctors. My brother ended up going to medical school. My mother was a nurse and I went to nursing college as well. And so the thought of having natural remedies for anything was frowned upon. Everything was very traditional. My father was basically a walking uh, uh, closet of pharmaceuticals. Uh, Whatever you needed, whenever there was an ill, there was a pill for that. And whenever there was a little unusual bump, there was some surgery or going on the knife for that. That's how I was brought up. And so what actually happened was, you know, in that true sense that while I was growing up and living that way, I actually was a very overweight child, and that started even before I hit my tweens. And I'm actually, my mother took me to a dietitian at the age of 11, 
and put me on a diet where all sugar and all fat were removed from my diet, very restricted. I was miserable and obviously it didn't work. And that was basically the start of my lifelong uh, journey with a roller coaster dieting. And and so I, whatever, I was always going on some sort of diet. It just, just went on and on. And unfortunately as well, um, there was quite a bit of body shaming and teasing within family and close family members and friends. And so I didn't have a lot of confidence. I just, with that came along a lot of uh, lack of self-esteem. And then, you know, I'd go on a diet, lose the weight. Everybody would be excited and celebrate. And then I would go and find food and binge and go into a closet and binge on all the food. And then they couldn't understand why I'd gained all this weight. And so that started also emotional eating. Um, and that was my journey. And it was just ongoing. And when I got into my 20s and I got my first corporate job, I uh, really started honing in on dieting, just getting so restrictive, but there was nothing. Whatever I did, I just would lose the weight, but then I would gain weight back and some, and it was so frustrating. I even got into heavy exercise. I joined a running club. I started running for the first time, doing half marathons. I even joined a cycle club. Every day I was doing exercising, but I was living on so-called diet food, the diet bars, the shakes, the pills, or whatever. And nothing worked. And that was just my lifelong story sure. um, that I wanted to share because so many of us actually have gone through that. And now I'm a midlife woman. And it was not until very long ago that I actually eventually found the missing pieces and overcame these weight weight loss uh, blocks that were really stopping me from actually, you know, reaching my, my goal weight and just making me feel more confident and, and happy and joyful within my life. So, um that was the story, but you know, along the way, I did find after I'd had my son, and that was um, 14 years ago. I actually came across a neighbour that just moved in, and she introduced me to natural medicine, natural health. She was, you know, she was a homeschool mom. She uh, did, uh, you know, she she fermented a lot of her own foods. Uh, they bought all their foods from Whole Foods. I thought they were a little crazy with some of this stuff. But I started introducing organic food slowly, but I didn't think that it was really going to help my weight. You know, I was still on this fixation with going fat free and, and I, you know, raw honey and agave and all that stuff would be okay. And I still need to go and exercise heavily. I had no idea that what I was doing, I was really ruining my body, what was going on inside. And I thought, I just have that mentality. I just got to be able to do this. And then I came across just actually coincidentally through my neighbor. Uh, she was sending me blogs and names of influencers in the health space. And I came across a blog and it was somebody who actually got into natural medicine, a traditional dietitian, and she started this weight loss program. And incidentally, she uh, it was um, all around the metabolic typing. And I found that very interesting. And I did my quiz and I came out as being a protein. And I'm sure we'll go into this later on in the, in the interview. And I tried that, but it was a little different because it was five meals a day and I was eating mini meals and I was getting hungry and I was having cravings. But I think the philosophy was great and it kind of planted that seed is that what she said was you got to have fat to your diet. You actually, you need to remove grains and things, all those inflammatory foods. Um, you can eat the mini meals. Um, and so that that is something that I now I realize today that these mini meals do not work. Um, but she spoke about the toxins and why organic is so important and going non-GMO. So I really started learning and honing in 
on my awareness of uh, of the natural field and how even our food is laden with pesticides and toxic ingredients and that can contribute not just to our health but also to our weight so i really dialed in and really got onto her program and then you know i had some I had some success, but it was I was never able to reach that finale, that goal that I just had at the back of my mind. This is where I want to be. And then I went back to school. I actually decided to go into holistic health. Uh, I did a holistic health course um, through the Trinity School of Natural Health. And I loved that because I got more exposure to natural and holistic health. It was wonderful. Um, but they have a, a one of their major focuses on is on energy healing. And I had a great uh, introduction, even though it was more kind of, it was very basic 101, but I realized that it wasn't so much about the weight. It was more about what was behind the weight and all those stuck um, traumas that were actually sitting in my body, knowing all those years that I was had actually uh, been body shamed and teased and had to deal with that constantly and always thinking that I'm just this person that has no willpower, um, tends to overeat, will binge and go hide and eat. And I'm just, it was all my fault. And I just always brought that upon myself. And I never had anybody really close to that I could go talk to about my, you know, about my feelings. And then when I got introduced to this energy side of this uh, course that I was doing, it was such an eye opener. And I knew I wanted to go back to that. But I felt that where I, once I was close to graduation, I it was great. I learned such a great deal from the course. But I kind of felt I want to do this. I want to help people. I want to help people get healthy, but not necessarily lose weight. That was just my issue. You know, I was still not quite connecting the dots right then, right yet, that that there is a connection between our weight and our weight struggles and our and health. And I knew I wanted to help people, but I just, you know, I was kind of stuck with where I was going. And I was talking to one of the the instructors who was helping us with our graduation. And I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. She said, well, why don't you just do this little basic health coaching and then you can go and do some health coaching. You can maybe work for a holistic doctor, a naturopath as a health coach, and you've got these skills and this qualification behind you. And I thought, that's great. I think that would be a great thing to do. I'll go and sign up for that course. But then a few weeks later, I listened to an amazing summit. And one of the summit speakers was Reed Davis, who was the founder <laughs> and CEO of awesome. Diagnostic Nutrition. And as they say, Evan, the rest is history. <laughs> um, I was absolutely blown away by the interview and I literally signed up. I had to graduate and a couple of things I wanted to do and I had to, to cancel my uh, registration for that health coaching course that was going to come after the graduation because I thought, no, 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 I want to do this FDN. And that's what I did. So it was about a month later that I signed on the FDN course. And it's been an absolute eye opener. Uh, I just, it's taken my health and my weight um, to a whole new level and my whole perspective on weight. Um, and what I've been taught all these decades, I mean, I'm over 50 now, so it's, and it's been a lifelong journey. So I've, you know, I've walked to tell the tale. So it's, it really has um, brought so much to the light for me. So 
And um, and here I am today. I, I'm I'm on the journey. It's always a journey. Um, you know, it's never a destination. We're always on this journey. And how I like to teach, you know, women in midlife clients as well. And so here I am today. Yeah. And, and um, so uh, that was the FTN way, learning about. And what what I learned as well, and it's just a, a quote, and I and I actually have stole it from one of my mentor, business mentors in FTN, who we all know, Jen Maleka. So if you, Jen, if yeah, you yeah. Um, you, you, you actually get healthy to lose weight and not lose weight to get healthy. And I, I love that mantra. And I always mention that, you know, in a lot of, um, on my web, you know, it's on my website and in a lot of my posts. And I remind people that that's what it's all about. I think that's really well said. And I love that. Uh, that that's a powerhouse team right there, right? You got Reed Davis showing you the course and then Jen Maleka. She's the one um, who got me involved in FDN about four and a half years ago. I saw her speaking and it doesn't take very long after hearing those two speak before you're like, okay, like where do I sign up for this thing, right? <laughs> um, you're like, all right, I'm good to go. Uh, there's so much to unpack there. I appreciate you just kind of diving in and bringing us all this information. I want to rewind just a little bit because this is something important to me. And I know that this is something that is so hidden uh, very often. You had kind of mentioned this binging thing. And again, I know I'm going back a little bit, but it is important to note. Was this happening like as a teenager and stuff? You mean even in that like 11, 12, 13 year old range that was already going on? It actually started as a teenager. In fact, I went to boarding school and I, and it was, you know, that, being in boarding school, obviously the food is not very desirable. And there was some, quite a few uh, students that had eating disorders and Mm -hmm. I kind of went the other way. I actually had um, some bulimia. So that side of the eating disorders, uh, most of them were actually more on the anorexia side. Um, But unfortunately I was one of the, one of the ones that had the bulimia and that's where it started. It actually started probably in my, in the high school. I would think I was a freshman, (laughs) maybe a sophomore. um, And that's when that started, but it was a constant, you know, when I went to school and, you know, I didn't have many friends and I didn't have a, I didn't have a lot of weight to lose. I was probably about maybe 15, 20 pounds. I mean, maybe as a youngster, it seems a lot, but I look back now um, and I hear of you know, a lot of women, life women that I speak to that have been on similar journeys, you know, they've struggled with having, you know, with, with 50 pounds, 50, sometimes up to a hundred pounds of weight sure. they've had to deal with all their lives. Um, and so, yeah, that's when it actually started that binge eating. Um, okay. And yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's something close to me, not because, uh, I dealt with it myself, but, and I'll keep it vague. It was not a family member, just so those know, but it, I'll keep it vague just because why share someone else's story? I just had someone very close to me when I was a teenager and it was you know a close uh, female in my life. And I did not know for years that they were dealing with actually exactly what you just said, bulimia. And this stuff is real, guys. I mean, it, it really affects people. It is absolutely a disease. And um, it's just, it's amazing when I can hear someone kind of overcome that stuff. I don't know what it's like to go that I've been through stuff, but that it's got to be pretty distressing in my head to have a major issue around something like food that is so fundamental to our lives. That's what I really try to emphasize for people. It's like mm-hmm. our whole lives as human beings is revolved around food. Like when are we eating breakfast? When are we eating lunch? We take breaks for corporate work 
simply so people can go eat lunch. You know, the family dinner thing is, I mean, kind of history now, unfortunately, but Mm -hmm. that's a major thing, right? This has got to be a pretty big stress on your body and mind over time if every single meal is just not what it should be, which is a really enjoyable thing, ideally, right? But instead, if you're always having stress around it, like I can't eat enough or, you know, I, um, if I'm not mistaken and correct me if I'm wrong, because it's actually been years, thankfully, since I've had to bring it up, a bulimia is binging followed by purging, correct? That's how that one goes? That's right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Be, there are stretches of, of not eating. And okay. so you would be restricting calories, exercising intensely, maybe for a few days, a couple of weeks. Um, I would sometimes go on a full week and I would lose and then boom, it would just all come back. You know, it's like, I just can't wait to go <laughs> to the, the closest store and just, you know, that's what I used to do. And I'm just sharing, yeah. I'm sharing my vulnerability. I would go and I would sit and, you know, sit somewhere in my, in my little small boarding school type cubicle that we had. We did, it wasn't dormitory style. We had these cubicles. So there was a little bit of privacy in these little miniature closets. And, and then I'd find, find my solace in the food and I would go for it. And yeah. And then, and boarding school, trying to go and purge it up, it was quite a challenge, but you right. know, you just find your way to do that without being noticed. And, um, and you know, you, but the thing is you can't hide it for so long. Um, in a boarding school, and you know, my my secret was discovered. Uh, you know, and I wasn't the only one anyway. Um, and so, you know, I had to go speak to the the school nurse and and try to deal with my issues, uh, not in a very sort of, you know, sympathetic way. Uh, and that was boarding school for you in South Africa. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Um- yeah. I appreciate, and you kind of beat me to it with the word vulnerability. I just, I thank you very much for that because this is when this podcast is most useful for people. Um, I lived in a world, and it was my own world <laughs> when I was younger, that I refused to share anything uh, negative that was going on or happening in my life because of shame. And this was honestly really in many ways self-imposed. I got to be honest. I don't really, I can't recall any outside forces directly, maybe just society as a whole, fair enough, that were influencing me in such a way that I can't share stuff. And I always say that vulnerability was once my greatest weakness. And now it's at lack of vulnerability, that is. And now vulnerability is actually one of my biggest assets. Because when we're just open and honest like that, we sometimes think that the world's going to meet us with criticism. And what I actually find, especially in today's climate, is that this is when we get the best response. And this is when people get the most healing, when someone comes on and just has the courage to just be like, hey, this is what it is. This is what it looked like. And I know that we have a predominantly female audience. We have uh, plenty of men, but it is predominantly female. And I'm sure that there's plenty probably dealing with this still because these disorders are overrepresented in women. And if nothing else, uh, definitely with the age bracket that we serve, I know that there's probably many people with daughters or sons that are maybe struggling with this stuff and they're starting to notice the pattern. So I know this might be a tough question. I don't mean to put you on the spot. So um, obviously feel free to take as much time as you'd like. From a parent's perspective, knowing what you know now, is there any advice that you could think of to maybe give a parent if they suspect or know that a teenager is dealing with uh, bulimia or some type of other eating disorder? Like how can they support their child with that? What might've been useful for you? That is such a great question because, you know, we don't want to, you know, bring upon the history that we've gone through on our, on our children and the generations that follow us. So that is such a great question. 
absolutely you know it's it's in, you know you look at it it's just when there's sort of patterns that will come it's it's the first thing i would notice is the behavior um of the child sometimes when the the behavior is excessive the child probably would be not paying much attention to probably the personal appearance um because that was me just kind of wearing baggy clothes because i just felt so bloated and so overweight um trying to you know avoid you know social gatherings getting together with friends um you know and obviously as a teenager for me it was i was it was restrictive in the boarding school so i couldn't get get into my car and go and go to the store and go and shop and do something crazy uh but you know if i think with my teen now you know she's going to be going she's a senior now and she's going to high school you know and she's if that was to be, if that was her it would be something to consider you know and how are her relationships with her friends um is she just you know spending more time at home i think that's the first thing is that disconnect and that disengagement from friends and the mood and the the moodiness and maybe a bit of confrontation um and with bulimia you could definitely look at you know the the, the breath is one thing um and i didn't do it for that long. i mean there are people that have gone that been bulimics for decades and decades when i hear of jane fonda you know somebody uh and so you know from a from a physical point of view like you know how's their dentition you know the uh, the quality of their mouth and their teeth and their breath um you could actually start noticing hair falling out i mean even with anorexics as well so from that physical point of view but that would be more of a long term thing man i would say it went on and off for maybe a 10 year span but i mean there would be like a year and then i was off for two years and i went back a little bit i know it's crazy it sounds sounds crazy but that was me um but i think that those would be the top three things just looking for disconnection from from friends uh moodiness um you know confrontation and just you know slovenliness and not paying much attention to personal appearance and uh, things like you know the hair falling out and the teeth uh, yeah. and voice for sure well no no that's like I mean, it's, you know, it's a tough topic for sure, yeah. but that is great advice. And thank you for giving that through our answer, because I, I do think uh, there's many parents out there that, I mean, listen, if you're a parent dealing with this, I'm not saying that this is exclusive to teenagers. That's not the case. It's just overrepresented there. Um, you know, if you're a parent dealing with this, my message to you is just simple as this. You do not need to feel ashamed about this. You need to get help if that's what you need to do, right? That, that's straightforward for me because yeah. I'm not judging you. Margo's not judging you. Like, we got to get take, this stuff taken care of, but our teens might not realize that. And I, I don't know if you know this, Margo, but some of the listeners might. I, my work outside of FDN is I do a lot of work in schools. I do speaking there specifically for my mental health uh, story. And I never, I, I never really dealt with the eating disorder stuff, but um, yeah, that's a main one where you know kids yeah. come up afterwards and and they're dealing with some really serious uh, serious stuff mm -hmm. so anytime mm -hmm. that we can help with that i appreciate it and if nothing else i just appreciate that answer so the next time i'm talking to a parent or something and they come up to me and say that uh that's that's great advice so well kind of is, sorry i just wanted to say we don't want to get, we don't want to get to that point and so for me with my philosophy and knowing you know the way i was brought up is that there is no body shaming in my household and no matter where you are how you look whether you are on the one side the one end of the spectrum or the other we do not do that we don't i don't you know i try to i discourage my kids to speak ill of anybody you know not to 
to criticize and just to be thoughtful about words. You know, I've tried to instill this in them from since they were little. And with a, and especially when they were both going through their puberty and where they were becoming more aware of the body changes and their body image, I knew I had to start that conversation. And so I don't make a thing of it where they know how I eat and I don't restrict anything. Uh, but we do things in moderation, but, you know, we don't have to go totally gung-ho. But as long as they're eating a certain amount of veggies a day, you know, getting their fruits, um, getting their, their, their servings and our holistic FDN approach to eating, and they can have the you know, occasional snack and their treat. Um, but I'm just, I just don't have that. And unfortunately, that was just the bad messaging that I got as much as I love my family to death and I miss them dearly being so far away from them. Um, I just don't want that that uh, that history to repeat itself with my kids, and that's why I instill it so strongly. And I just don't want my kids to get to that point where they feel that they are deprived in some way. And I'm always on their case about gaining weight or whatever. So that's amazing. I mean, and that's breaking the cycle, right? And I think this can be applied to so many things, whether it's generational trauma, mental health stuff, uh, physical health stuff. We're we're in a weird time in history because. You know, sometimes people are surprised, especially when they're not in like our community, about how optimistic I am about many of the things in the world. And I'm like, well, you know what? I think we've been trending on this downward slope for a while, but I think we've kind of hit the valley. And now what we're going to see, I mean, let's just talk about the mental health stuff because I can relate to that conceptually. Clearly, this falls under the category of mental health. We have a whole brand new generation that is willing to talk about this stuff, that is going to be able to have these conversations with their kids. I go into schools and these teachers and counselors are so aware of this. They care so much. You know, people um, always like, you know, like, what's like the funniest thing like a kid's done in a presentation? I'm like, you know what? I don't really have kids mess around that much. I don't think that's because I'm such a good speaker. I think that's because every single person in there in today's world kind of gets that this is just an important topic. And you know what? We don't we don't really mess with that speaker. We just leave him alone because this one matters and we don't want to see bad things happen to our classmates. And so again, you know, we're at the bottom of that valley, but I think we're coming back up. And I, I think that's amazing that you're doing that with um you know, your children, that's like, hey, let's break this cycle. This is how we're going to do things in our household. Um, and then recognizing that, yeah, you know, our parents might have had just genuine ignorance around it. There, there's nothing wrong with that. Ignorance mm -hmm. is not, people yeah. use that as such like a derogatory term. It's like, guys, ignorance means you don't know something. You don't have knowledge about mm -hmm. something. And genuine ignorance can be pretty hurtful and dangerous, even if it has no malintent behind it, right? <laughs> exactly. No, absolutely. There, there was none of that. I, I, I always say it was done in love. <laughs> Um, and they didn't know it better, but it's, yeah, absolutely. That's okay. Well, cool. I'm really glad that I love, this is why I love doing this this way. Cause I never know which route it's going to take. And I'm glad we spent some time on that, but I'd love to shift a little bit more into this midlife stuff and really helping people with this stubborn weight stuff, because yeah. this is kind of the opposite end, right? You know, we, we, eating disorder is a whole separate thing, but what really happens when someone does have a genuine weight issue and what can we do about that? So once you finally found FDN, you know, you had kind of already mentioned vaguely these things that you finally figured out. You got like the final pieces to the puzzle. I know you're still working on stuff. We we all are totally cool. Um, but there were some aha moments, it sounds like for you. What were some of the things that you learned maybe going through FDN about the stubborn weight and just maybe things that people might not have ever heard of or considered before in their weight loss journey? really get delving into the reasons behind the which come in the form of, of doing lab testing 
And that was, they were all the lab testing, all the, the results that I had received after having done my lab tests were just aha moments when I realized um, I had imbalanced hormones, my cortisol level when I'd done my first one, when we still had the biohealth um, testing company, and we still were affiliated with them. And my cortisol was actually through the roof. I was in the acute stage. Uh, but over time, I'd actually done two touch tests and it's now come down and I'm kind of in the exhaustive phase. So I think with that as well, the correlation between our cortisol and how we held on to fat, because our body basically sends a message, sends a signal to say when the cortisol is so high, um, it's in survival mode. It kind of puts us instinctively and um, into uh, into that flat or flight mode and where we are sending signals to the brain that we need, you know, we need these hormones and these messages that we we can't digest our food and it's kind of danger time. And so we got to do everything we can to survive. And one of the things it does is just holds on to fat stores. And I believe that that my cortisol being where it was, and it was kind of, there was not much that more it could do. It was probably on its way down. Um, just being a person that I am, you know, most of the time very stressed and not very sure of myself, kind of always sort of on edge, a little bit of anxiety. That was always part of what I, how I grew up as well. And and I think the stressor of moving to the to the country, immigrating, leaving the family behind, um, it was a very, very hard move. I think I struggled um, for the first I would say first eight years, and then it got a little better. Um, but yeah, it was a struggle, and I think that's also contributed to you know how my cortisol pattern and my HPA dysfunction, HPA was dysfunctional to say the least. And then obviously with my my sex hormones as well, I noticed that they were very on the on the all of both of them, the estrogen and the progesterone were on the low side as well as the testosterone. And with that as well, it comes along with midlife, but, you know, sometimes, you know, it, it, depending on the person, they'll start at different points of one's life. So everything was really out of balance. And and this obviously was a, a major missing piece towards my my weight. Um, and then when I looked at my uh, the gut test, that was another eye-opener. Uh, I'd actually had H. pylori, had a bacterial infection, H. pylori. I had... Uh, major dysbiosis, which is, um, for those that don't know what dysbiosis is, it's a basically an overgrowth of bacteria in, the, in, our, in our gut, and we are largely microbiome more than anything else. And, and then I also had, in those days, we did the, the liver, uh, I can't remember what it was called now, you re even remind me of the names. Um, the BH-101, is, is that what you're referring to? The, ones, the liver? Liver uh, lipid peroxides, or is the peroxide, those yeah? The there we ones. go. There we go. Those are the ones, and also my liver uh, was really not where it should be. My liver health. Um, I was obviously not detoxing very well, and I was obviously holding on to toxins. And then I did an H HTMA, and I came across some heavy metals. So with all of these things going on in the body, and that had obviously accumulated over the over the years, and they don't just show up and then suddenly it's like, okay, that's that's there now. You got to do something. This has been accumulating since you know since since in utero, um, not just when you're born. And th so that was all an eye opener. And I met, 
I cleared up my my gut. Um, but unfortunately, last year, I think during COVID, I think stress levels hit, you know, hit rock bottom for me again. And I read it. I went and did the Dutch test, and my levels were pretty low on my cortisol and my sex hormones were even lower and then my gut health had not improved much in fact it had actually deteriorated i ended up with h pylori was still hanging around and i also ended up with a parasite infection and even more profound uh, dysbiosis and so i am right now i've just finished a gut path protocol and i'm now working towards doing a heavy metal detox but I'm not quite sure where I'm going with that just yet but it's interesting because we have these results before us we know we know about dress diet rest exercise stress reduction and then the supplementation based on our results and you know what would work for us there's always something there but what I do realize now that these are all little dots that we can finally connect and we can finally feel confident enough to continue this path but it doesn't mean to say that we stop. We just keep digging. We keep going further. And this is what I love about the, the philosophy of FDN is that we can keep going further. And we have so much access to other alternative uh, platforms and programs, even, even biohacking. We, you know, I know there's a lot of connection now with the biohacking. And this is something that I, that is really now dear, near and dear to my heart. And I'm really, uh, getting really honed in on and so we always find something and this is and I love working with midlife women because they've also got to a stage where they're ready to make a change because they are now start, starting to focus on themselves and that was for me as well I was very much a people pleaser I think just the way you know with this lack of self-esteem just pleasing everybody and trying to be thin when I was growing up so that people could like me and so that was the way I was when I grew up. And so many people are like it. I'm not the only one. But I was always putting myself last and doing, putting everybody else's needs ahead. And, you know, just with a raising a family and being a stay-at-home mom for the you know, first few years of actually moving to the States. And then I think by the time I hit my 40s and learning about the midlife, and I thought, no, this is darn it. I, you know, I, I need time for myself. Hello, I'm also an important person right here. Yeah, and so I, I try to encourage that with my midlife ladies as well that you got to start taking care of yourself. It is a challenging time of the, of our lives because even though you know empty nesting is is, is taking place, um, we're not done yet with taking care of others. We often consider the, the the sandwich generation where we are sort of saying goodbye gradually, passing on that independence baton to our children. But now we are taking on more responsibilities with our own parents. And so we have those extra challenges. But I just feel like the only way really to make progress, yes, you can do the biohacking, you can do the labs, you can do dress, but you've got to take care of yourself. Self-care is critical. You cannot heal. You cannot release that weight unless you are looking after yourself and finding your purpose and finding your true joy, what really lights you up every single day, the moment you wake your eye, wake up in the morning and open your eyes. Um, that, to me, is the most powerful healing modality that we can do for ourselves. So I just oh, want to share with you. 
Yeah, yeah. That last part there really got, I mean, got me uh, with chills a little bit because it's so rare that I, I, I always hear, like, who's going to deny uh, that a passion or loving what you do wouldn't be beneficial towards your health? But it's very rare that someone says, <clears throat> excuse me, that this is one of the most, if not the most beneficial thing that we could do for our health. And I am in perfect agreement with this because I know from firsthand experience, like, this is how I looked at it at 18. I don't know why I had this perception already. I, I thank God I, I did. I was like, wait a second. So I'm going to go work 40 hours a week. And let's be honest, who works 40 hours a week in today's world? So let's call it like 50 or 60. I'm going to go work 50 hours a week for the next 40, 50, or 60 years of my life. And I'm going to hate every second of that. Uh, yeah, guys, believe it or not, that could affect your health over time. <laughs> you know, like if most yeah. of your week is stressful because you're doing something that you don't want to do, I, mm. I wouldn't recommend that. And of course, what's the obvious thing that people always argue with that, Margo? Oh, well, that's easier said than done. I tell people this. I don't give a damn if you have a 10-year plan to get out of it. Have a plan because the 10 years is going to pass anyway. You know, if you don't have the plan, you're going to be stuck right where you were before then. So move towards the things you actually like. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You've got to. And, you know, you, there's, still, there's still time ahead. You know, it's not like it's doom and gloom. Once we hit our 50s, it's all downhill from there. Not a chance. I mean, people are thriving. You know, they're starting careers. You know, that for me, it was a career churn for me. Uh, you know, there have been major ter- life-changing, you know, turning events for people at the stage of their life, and they really don't have to be dealing with all that that baggage that they've had to put up with all those years. They've got to find their <laughs> passion and their purpose, and where we've so many of us have been, you know, um, and yeah, you're so right about that. And this is <clears throat> this is why Reed Davis is the number one face for his company because this guy, most people don't realize, is in his late 60s. He looks 50. And I was watching a video of him on Facebook the other day. Oh, what the heck's that called? Um, maybe it's jet skiing. Okay. I feel like, was it wave serving? Uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, you know, <laughs> there's some people, guys, and I, I don't mean to be pessimistic. I'm just, we got to call this stuff out for what it is. There are some people in their late 60s that, I mean, they're basically throwing mm-hmm. in the towel and statistically they'll only be around for several more years. Um, I don't think we're losing Reed anytime soon. If he's doing that, you know, I can't do that. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. it's just amazing to see that the system obviously works because you got to have someone leading the the charge that really walks the walk. And I think um, you know, he's about as good of uh, an example of this as you can he get. Really does. He yeah. is a true leader in that. Absolutely. Um, so a couple other things that you had mentioned that I just think are so important. You talked about the HPA axis dysfunction. You talked about like the sex hormones even being out of whack. And then also, you know, dysbiosis, that's not really something you hear in the traditional diet books, right? And people still, it's unbelievable to me, especially my generation. I think that they're just being a little more aware of this, but not. I got coaches online that are saying, listen, weight loss is simple. Stop overcomplicating it. It's just calories in, or like basically they'll say eat less less calories than you use every single day. You know what I mean? And then you'll burn fat. And I'm like, okay, if we go to the opposite ends of the extreme, of course, there's truth to this. If I feed someone, an adult, 200 calories versus 20,000 calories, yes, of course, you're going to get extreme results. And you're also going to get a very unhealthy person over time in completely different ways, uh, depending on which route you take there. But what about the person 
that is eating the same amount as someone else and still gaining the weight. I just saw, um, well, I'll be careful about where I, I saw it. I saw something the other day where someone posted about a 400 pound individual, mid 400s, and they're eating 3000 calories a day. Okay. I eat about 3000 calories a day. I'm 170 pounds and six feet tall. So explain that one. How can it just be calories in calories out? And that's the difference between 300 pounds. That, that's ignorance. It, it's genuine ignorance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you are working with these kind of midlife women, I mean, is that, are you seeing very similar things with them that you saw in your own labs? Or like, what would you say the number one thing that you're seeing uh, with them is that's like kind of causing this resistant weight? Yeah, so I haven't actually worked with women where I've actually looked at labs. We've actually run labs, but I have worked with them in other settings. And they still come with a mindset. I, it's been just, you know, it's been at the forefront for decades and they still on this eating low fat or going fat free. And it's all about the calorie restriction and all about the excessive dieting. And, it, and, and when they into midlife, because they go to their doctor and they may go to their doctor for a checkup or they go to their OBGYN uh, for a checkup uh, and they ask for some advice or they'll be put on the scale, this happened to me actually personally, put on the scale, look and say, oh, I've gained 10 pounds or, and then it's, well, obviously now that I'm in midlife and it's all hormonal and uh, I'm, you know, I'm losing my sex hormones. So this is the reason why I'm gaining the weight. So what I need to do is I just need to eat less and exercise more. And it's basically what they believe is echoed by their doctors because they don't know any better. And they will, that, that is what I hear along those lines as well. That's what you need to do. And you just have to either, I heard somebody talk about a doctor said, just suck it up and just live with it. Um, just make sure that you watch your portions cut and just really get out there and do some heavy exercise, you know, go to the gym, sign up at gym. I mean, some gyms aren't even open um, or they've got restrictions. And just that, that advice is just, unfortunately, it's just nebulous advice that is so, that is just hasn't done much justice to women or anybody for decades, you know, when it started with that fat-free generation. And so many of us think that way. And I try to explain it's not about that. It's about your lifestyle. And it, you didn't just gain the weight overnight. It's not the hormones. It's that accumulation of lifestyle factors, stress, um, t- the toxins, exposure to the, to the sad, sad standard American diet, um, lack poor sleep, not drinking purified water, uh, just living that fast-paced 650-60 hour work week. All these things are contributing to our weight because it basically all revolves around stress and cortisol because its body is holding on to that to protect us. And no matter what the stressor is, whether it's a physical, emotional, mental, biochemical, electrical, it's a stressor on the body. When the body recognizes any type of stressor, it will do anything to hold, to protect you, to keep you in survival. And so what we have to do is we have to under- address those stresses. And those are also including the hormone imbalances. And we look at those before we go full out into dieting. Obviously, you know, we look at metabolic typing. And what I most often find, and for myself as well, when I did my metabolic typing, I'm more of a protein. And midlife women tend to, I know it kind of goes against the grain of what we all think about metabolic typing. And most women that I found tend to do better on a low carb when they get to their 50s. And we just become a little bit more insulin resistant. So we are more sensitive to carbs. 
And so we have to look at that. It's not about the calories. And also when you're comparing how many calories you're eating to that man, that six foot two, 170 pound man, it's how you're absorbing them. It's the, the quality and the lining of your gut while you're absorbing the nutrients. And a calorie of a bag of chips, a hundred gram, hundred calorie bag of chips is not the same as a hundred bag, hundred calories of a bowl of almond, of raw, organic, non-GMO almonds. It's the quality of the food. It's nutrient dense and has all these nutrients. And so, what your body does with that, that's what's important. How it metabolizes it. You're not going to metabolize if you eat a, a bowl of nuts and eat a bag of chips. What's going to happen off the bag of chips? You're going to want more chips. So you're going to end up having more calories. So it's calories are not the same. They're not created equal. And it's how it's the quality and it's the functioning of your gut as well, and how you're absorbing the nutrients. And with exercise, uh, if, I, if I could just talk a little bit about exercise, now please, exercise please. in midlife is a we have to have a very different approach um, because the exercise we will notice even when we get into our forties, even in our fifties, because most people in their fifties are getting into menopause, where we literally have no sex hormones. And we're not producing anything. And but they're not just about the hormones. There's so many other things that the hormones do. They don't just help with, you know, with fertility and procreation and sex. They have so many other beneficial functions as well. And with that, literally from brain health to bone health to muscle health, uh, to with so many things. I'm not going to go into all the details. But our estrogen and progesterone. Progesterone is the one that declines first, and then the estrogen comes afterwards. And and what happens with these, when they tend to decline, it's, we're very vulnerable to having uh, issues like poor bone health, poor bone density, and our muscles start to um, atrophy, where they're not, they start, they're not as strong and as robust as what they were before. So we have to be very careful to protect our muscles. And we should not be doing things like heavy cardio, like pounding the pavement, doing the half marathons that we used to do, doing those cycle races, go to spin classes. Those were the worst. And I think that's what depleted me with my cortisol is I was still doing those in my 40s. And we really need to start changing our approach to the way we need to be lifting, doing more strength training uh, to build up our muscle, build up our uh, to because our muscles at the end of the day they also help with metabolism and they actually also help to burn the fuel and so by building muscle you actually will burn the fat as opposed to just doing the cardio which is cortisol and the cortisol is the thing that hold, causes you to hold on to fat so that is the approach and also doing more quick bursts of high intensity interval training the research has shown that it's actually far more beneficial in the way of um um creating more insulin sensitivity and as i said we are there's a tendency for us to be more insulin resistant when we get into our midlife years so those are the types of exercises and the other one that we forget about is walking it just daily walks or daily movement just being active just um there's this uh, acronym and i don't i know the name of the acronym but don't ask me to say the whole sentence it's n-e-a-t and this is the a new approach to exercise as well with midlife. N-E-A-T, uh, NEAT, NEAT exercise. Something about thermogenesis is the last one. And it's just little movements, um, whether you parking your car the furthest away from a grocery store, taking the stairs instead of the elevator, uh, just constant movement, um, even gardening, things like that. Those are the things we should be doing. And whatever we do in the form of exercise, we should love. Uh, I learned about this in my last 
course that I did, it, exercise should not be called exercise. It's a fun, sweaty activity because we want to sweat a bit, but we don't have to go totally sweaty. But make it fun. Make it something enjoyable. And uh, even if it's having a dance party in the kitchen with your kids, I love that. So that's the new approach to exercise in midlife. I love that. And I had to look that up myself. It actually stands for non-exercise activity and you are correct, thermogenesis. So I think that's cool. Um, and I love the approach to exercise there because I, it's so funny. Um, I've never, thankfully, of all the things I've dealt with, I've never really had to deal with the weight gain thing, quite the opposite actually. And I love keeping fitness and routine activity just fun as I get older because I am at the age, I mean, I'm a, I'm a young guy, but I'm at the age where it's like, no, I'm not playing competitive middle school and high school sports. And I dreaded those things anyway, to begin with at that age, I was not particularly uh, good at those, but um, of course I want to stay active for the rest of my life. So I never even think about it as exercise. I just do the things I love to do and I do strength training. And a few years back, I broke my foot and it really has been a hell of a journey trying to get this thing back in shape because it caused like Long story short, it healed all supinated, which caused this issue with my knee. I got IT band syndrome, yada, yada, yada. And so recently, after all these years, I've finally started screwing around in the gym. I was just there earlier today, and I'm warming up with basketball for 10 minutes instead of doing the elliptical for 10 minutes. And it's like, I mean, I mean, it is a significant difference how much joy that brings me to do. Because basketball is where I got my injury. I haven't really played in three, four years. I, I used to play multiple times a week for almost a decade. Mm-hmm. And it's unbelievable to me how good I feel and how much enjoyment I have doing that. And I honestly work harder in those 10 minutes doing that than on the elliptical anyway. And the elliptical, it's like 10 minutes, dude, you can't do it. I'm like every time, oh my God, I hate this. I don't want to be doing this. <laughs> so, and for other people, it's like a fun thing, right? They turn on like a show on something where they have uh, those ellipticals where there's like an interactive TV screen. So for some people, that's the right thing. But like, guys, there is enough exercise out there or forms of activity, I should say, and exercise out there that you don't have to be doing stuff you don't like. Stop falling into this dogmatic trap that it has to be one thing. Go do what you enjoy and also consider that neat stuff, that non-exercise um, activity. You know, yeah, I had to look that up again because <laughs> I, I understood what it was conceptually, but I forgot the acronym for a moment. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I think that's really important. Now, as we're kind of wrapping up here, and we're going to go a little over time, that's completely fine. One of the things that I wanted to make sure we got to is your kind of signature weight loss method. And I feel like we've probably covered different pieces of this already within this podcast. Is that correct? Yes, we have. Okay, cool. Well, then that's easy enough. So my next question then would just be simply, Margo, where can people find you if they're interested in kind of, you know, really applying this method to their life and working with someone who's been through it themselves? Sure. So I um, I have a website. Um, it's still uh, being revamped <laughs> at the moment, but um, but they're quite welcome to go ahead and check it out. It's uh, shootforwellness.com. That's S-H-U-T-E for for wellness.com and i'm also on social media at shoot for wellness that's instagram and i'm on facebook but i'm not very active on facebook i have a business page but uh, not much going on there and so most of my activity is on on instagram cool easy enough and of course we'll have that in the show notes folks so that ended up flying by i mean that was an easy 50 minutes that's for sure but Mm -hmm. i want to of course, finish up with our signature question on the show, the one we always ask on the Health Detective Podcast. And that is this. If Margot was given a magic wand and you could get every single person in this world to do one thing for their health or maybe get them to stop doing one thing, 
what is the one thing that you would get them to do? Ooh, um, gosh, Evan, that, that is hard. Just having one, <laughs> one thing. Well, I think in midlife, so I'm going to kind of just narrow it in on midlife just to make it a little easier. And by the time you get to midlife is that you have to pay attention to sleep, your sleep, your quality of your sleep and the timing of your sleep. Uh, I know we haven't even spoken about sleep. It's not just about the weight, but I've just found that sleep is the healer of all healing modalities. <laughs> All right. What a great episode, man. I I said it in the beginning in the intro, but I'll just say it again. I have such a high level of respect and just gratitude even for people who come on here and just pour their hearts out so openly and just are willing to say what they went through and things that happened to them all in the name of helping other people. I feel like that's what we need to start moving towards. And to be fair, I do think we are as a society. I think that's one of the beautiful things of social media with all of its darkness that it has is that it's brought to light so many issues that many of us would probably deal with in silence because, you know, someone famous comes out and says it or even a friend or family member has the courage to say something. And that has a ripple effect, man. That's a really good use for social media. And I know this isn't directly social media per se, but certainly it is you know, a way of sharing information on the internet. And I think it's amazing. I'm like, how many people, even the person that I mentioned, you know, in the beginning of uh, the podcast, just don't know that other people deal with this stuff. I mean, I know when I dealt with my mental health issues, I really thought I was alone. I didn't get that so many other people dealt with this stuff. And an analogy or I don't even know if it's an analogy. An example I always use is like a comparison of someone breaking their arm. When we are kids and we're in elementary, middle school, and high school, we see broken arm, our casts for broken arms all the time. And so if you break your arm, I would imagine you don't think it's that strange. You're just like, okay, I've seen this before and I got to heal and get my stuff done. But do you see anxiety? Do you see depression? Do you see bulimia? Not usually. And so if you deal with those things for the first time, I think it can be pretty confusing for those individuals because they're thinking, wow, maybe I'm the only one who's dealt with something like this. So props to you, Margo, for everything that you've overcome. I mean, this has definitely been a heck of a long journey for you. Um, and thank you for coming on and sharing. That means a lot. And you did a great job. Now, guys, if you like this information in general and want more people to be able to hear it, please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Just go over there and search for the Health Detective Podcast by FDN Thrive. Five-star review is great if you want to be really kind and leave us a few great words. We love you even more than we already do. And if you are looking for the show notes and links from today's episode, just go to fdnthrive.com slash 82. That's fdnthrive.com slash the number 82, as in episode 82. Thanks for listening, and we're looking forward to talking to you guys again soon. Thanks for tuning in to the Health Detective Podcast. If you are ready to finally work with a real health detective on your health journey so that you can get well and stay well naturally, visit us at fdmthrive.com and click the Get Started Here button.